Blog Talk Radio. with a criminal matter, has the right to have their case heard before. A judge or judicial officer of the court is entitled to a fair and public hearing by a competent, independent and impartial court. Have strict court rules enforced such as the right of reply, rules of evidence, and be found innocent or guilty, beyond reasonable doubt. Yet, our most vulnerable can have their rights, assets, and decision-making rights removed by a public servant of the state, not a judge, in a tribunal setting, that can ignore evidence and facts, and, determine matters as they see fit, and, conclude matters based, on probabilities alone. Are you scared yet? If you aren't, you should be. Good evening, everyone. This is Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online. This is the TS Radio Network, and I'm proud to say we are being carried on so many streaming platforms now that we're just getting bombed. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. Um, so we're getting a lot more exposure for the shows, and hopefully the more we expose and the more attention we get, we can bring some pressure on this system to get it to stop or change considerably. I don't think we'll ever get it stopped. There's too much money in it. But what's happening um, to people across this country, the elderly? If you remember during Iraq and Afghanistan wars, um, they had what they the government was doing what it called extraordinary rendition, and what that turned out to be was they would kidnap people off the street, and you would never see or hear from them again, and nobody ever knew where they were or what happened. This is exactly what's happening in guardianship, which will be shown in tonight's uh, story. People are kidnapped, and it's put into these facilities, and they're isolated. Nobody can many times even know where they are, and this is a form of rendition. Uh, we have taken something out of the military and applied it to the domestic public venue, and as near as I can tell, and I've done some research on this, but I'm not not enough to where I can uh, speak extensively on it. But this is this whole system that we have going. Whoa, who's doing what there? Stop it. <laughs> we uh, that we have going is modeled on the extraordinary rendition practiced during those wars. That our senators, our representatives, our governors, our Department of Justice, the judiciary itself has not only sat quietly but has helped to facilitate this is absolutely terrifying. Apparently, these people don't think they're ever going to get become elderly. And they might have a point. But this is... what What's happened to us? And I keep hearing all this talk about 
uh, Christianity and, oh, we're Christians and we're this and that. And I'm going to tell you, in all honesty, the most vicious, judgmental, hateful people I have ever met have been waving the Christian banner. Where are you when we need you? Where is all that brotherly love and that quest for humanity? Where's it at? I want to know. Um, I have been contacted by several people's families who have been caught up in these guardianships who have belonged to churches for decades in many cases. And I've gone to those churches and said, these people have been snatched. They need your support. They need you to step up and, and support them. Oh, we can't do that. That's, that's political and we'll lose our tax-exempt status. That is not political. That's humanitarian. And when did your tax-exempt status become more important than your member of your congregation? This, it, what I'm seeing all around me is the things and people and organizations that should step up and be fighting to protect these people are reticent. They're not there. They're, and they all got these excuses of why they're not. It could happen to you. When I was first in this 14 years ago, repeatedly I heard, well, they must have done something wrong or they wouldn't have done that to them. You know, and I heard this over and over again, well, you must have done something wrong. Those same people came back four, five, six years later. They took my mom. They took my dad. Well, you must have done something wrong. Uh, No, we didn't do anything. Sure, you must have. You know, and, and this is just... I don't know how much of this we're going to put up with or why we should put up with it. I I don't understand why we are putting up with these politicians who do nothing, who not only refuse to intervene and stop this, but will vote to help fund it through backdoor grants and all sorts of stuff. Why are you doing that? I I don't know. we're we're in a mess here, and this is only going to get worse. As time moves on and they get away with more, it's going to get worse. So grab your butts. Anyway, co-hosting with me tonight is Elaine Mickman, and many of you know her. And Kaz has had to take the night off. She had other obligations there. But she's going to be trying to listen again. We have with us Reverend Rouse. Say hello, Reverend. Good evening, listeners. Yes, and Elaine. Hi. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Marty. You bet. All right. And our guest tonight is Meg Tanner. Now, we've had her on before about her brother, Curtis. And this is, I think, if nothing else, this case particularly points out how corrupt this system is. Here's this accomplished man who has done so many good things in his life, and somehow he's captured in this guardianship system and nobody can know where he is nobody can see him and nobody can I mean why what's the point of this we call it trauma-based bonding then I'm gonna bring Meg Tanner on and Meg you have a recording you have of your brother why don't you go ahead and play that okay thank you Marty mm-hmm. see, so I, I enjoy that but mm-hmm. I would love to go over to the office that we have here in Birmingham just no, see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so. I would love to do something like that or volunteer, you know. Yeah, that's what I would love to do. I mean, I uh, may not be able to in, in terms of just uh, my, I don't know, my time, my ability, whatever, but I'm sure that 
uh, over time they roll something, but that's not the point. I would love to be over there uh, clean the floor, <laughs> but writing letters back to people, uh, doing those kind of things. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, put it this way, there's a lot out there, almost like a super highway in my mind that's going by me, mm-hmm. life. And I'm standing on the side with my thumb out, and nobody will pick me up. And that's how I see it in my mind. That's amazing. Oh, wow. Marty, could you hear that okay? Yes, just fine. That is really a profound statement. And this does not at all sound to me like a man who is not coherent or is rambling and not in his right mind. Or this. uh, Can I, can I, can I tell you? Yeah, Jiminy Christmas. I've seen it a lot in Jiminy Cricket and Jiminy Christmas. Um, yes. Um, thanks for having me again. It's good to be back. Um, yes. And that was very profound and emotional for me to actually be able to play that because my brother has essentially been silenced and um, the circumstances around that briefly were... It was in 2018, it was Thanksgiving, and it was after a six-month period where we had been um, kept from seeing him, and a nurse, and that was after the divorce filing, and I know we probably need to go back and recap, but the the point is, we were snuck in um, by a nurse after we had been banned from seeing him for six months because we had um, assisted him in filing for trying, attempting to file for divorce from his guardian who was also his wife, and um, a nurse told us to come anyway. And I remember feeling like it was Christmas. I was literally <clears throat> jumping up and down to see him because it had been so long. And um, we sat down in the front room with him, and I caught that on video. And that was wow. him sharing with myself and my sister. All the while, he's being people are being told, friends, family, um, court systems are being told that my brother's no longer here. They've oh. lost, you know, lost a husband because he's not even here. So that just goes to show, yes, he has some dementia, but he is clearly sitting there expressing what he wants. Yes. Well, and excuse me, even if someone has dementia, why would this make it okay for you to isolate them? And, you know, the, the one thing it seems to me you'd want to do if you were really concerned about them is encourage visitation and encourage, you know, uh, contact with the, with the family and friends, but they don't. So what is the isolation really about? And it is the trauma-based bonding. It, it terrifies them. You get an elderly person, one of the most damaging things psychologically to them is to be isolated. They need that stimulation. They need that contact, that conversation. They need the touch and feel of another human being and someone who is close to them, a friend, a family member, whatever. They need that. They need it, and yet it is the very first things they deprive them of. Now, why would you do that if your intentions were anything less than dishonorable? And um, I, I don't get it. I can't imagine him. If you could, Meg, kind of summarize for us the first show. And by the way, you can go back and get that show. I couldn't get it into the um, promo because it was limited on space, but it was October 7th. You can go back, and it's uh, Curtis. It is the name and the title, so you'll be able to find it. But uh, where Meg talks extensively about what happened to her brother. But if you would go ahead, Meg. 
Sure. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so um, last time we basically I started with how he was placed into a guardianship. We discussed um, he was in a rafting um, accident um, sponsored by his church, and uh, it was a, a, a bonding trip with um, fathers and sons, and um, that affected him because he had been near drowning. So he did have problems, um, some neurological and physical problems as a result of that, but continued to work. Um, my brother started one of the helped to found one of the largest campus ministries um, in the world called Campus Outreach, and so he continued to you know work there in a less lesser capacity because he was struggling, especially physically, um, and uh, so that was how things started. And then um, he really suspected that things might not go so well if. Um, he continued to be under the care of his wife at the time, so friends and family rallied around him and supported him and basically um, decided, and he decided that he wanted a POA. So he had a friend that was appointed as power of attorney um, because he did have, you know, he's having some struggles um, and um, his wife protested that and became a temporary guardian. And he, um, my brother got an attorney to revoke that. Um, and then was pressured into removing that revocation. And so um, that's how he came under, eventually came under around 14, 15, under her guardianship as well as um, conservatorship eventually. And he was also declared um, incompetent, um, and that came after she attempted to have him involuntarily committed, and the judge at the time refused Mm -hmm. to do that. But then shortly after that, he was declared incompetent in a courtroom where I understand he wasn't there because it was expressed by her that he was a flight risk. So I don't think that judge even got to see him. I've heard that's not that unusual, but my brother could have easily you know, been there um, had he had the opportunity. And so um, from there, uh, he you know, has been under that guardianship. And then I think where I can come to the end and then kind of go back, a lot has happened. Okay during that time um and uh we've been through uh divorce court probate court um and i can i can loop back to that but where we are currently um is that in 2021 june of 2021 we were um cut off from him and when i say we i'm referring to i'm curtis's youngest sister I have other siblings um, and a dad, a 97-year-old dad, who um, are not have not been allowed to know where he is or how he is, other than the fact that we're told he's unstable and doesn't need to be around people or have any visitors, and uh, we're not allowed to speak to him or see him. So the last time I saw him was in March of 21. The last time I talked to him was in June. And uh, wow. I mean, my dad has asked as recently as, you know, the past few months, he's left messages for the guardian, or at least one I know of, you know, asking, can I please talk to my son? Oh, you know, um, I have another sibling that unfortunately is um, what I call on the other side. And I referred to him last, uh, last podcast as OB rather than using his name. Unfortunately, um, he, you know, asked him as well, because I think he, um, he is, um, supportive of the guardian um, and also estranged from Curtis um, and does, doesn't have any desire that I've ever heard of or seen to even see my brother. 
Um, I managed, even in the midst of being banned and restricted multiple times, to see my brother about 40 times um, between 16 and 21. And that brother um, that I'm referring to, I think, has seen him once. And so my dad recently asked him, you know, could I please, um, because he cares for my dad. He's his care, you know, caretaker and asked him if um, he could talk to my brother. And he was told no, that there was no reason, no need for him to talk to his son. What gets me about this, Meg, is I have yet to hear one coherent, reasonable excuse for why this isolation would be necessary. It it is counter to what we know is productive. I I don't understand why. I mean, even a a, a person with a, a cursory glance at this, you know, they're they're. Alarm bells go off. What, what's with the isolation? Why would you isolate someone that you claim is in this precarious position? Wouldn't you want I can to have that as question. much? <laughs> go ahead, please. Yeah, I mean, I can answer it. It's that's well, if you know, and so if you go back and you even look at what a guardian is supposed to be, you know, I was reading through Terry LaPointe. You know, Terry LaPointe read an article and um, about my brother. And she um, referenced in the article, you know, what a guardian is actually supposed to do. And I was rereading that yesterday, and it basically said a guardian is not to act in accordance with what the guardian wants. I had to reread that again, right? I was thinking the word, no, the guardian wants that the decisions for the person under guardianship should be in accordance with what that individual wants and needs. Interestingly, the standard state, and this is coming from the fourth of edition of something, a standards of practice of, of, of NGA, National Guardianship Association. First, the guardian <clears throat> shall ask the person what he or she wants. If they cannot express what they want, decisions should be made based upon the decision that person would have made when the person had capacity. So my brother has expressed, I mean, I have dozens of pages of journals, I have dozens of emails. I'm looking at a letter that he sent me after my first visit, and you could hear him. So he's clearly expressed what he wants. Um, and so I kind of I, – um, sorry, I went off the track a little bit. But what I'm establishing right. is that as a guardian, if a guardian – I mean, I, I think – before I got involved with this, when you think of guardian, I always thought of I got these warm, fuzzy feelings, right? You think of a guardian mm-hmm. as someone who's supposed to protect someone and, and do what's in their best interest. Um, but when that doesn't happen and when someone decides, hey, I'm going to put this person in a lockdown facility with people that are, for the most part, 20 years older um, than him, um, and I'm going to place him there um, because I'm saying there's no other place for him to be, um, then I think what happens is that people, when people start visiting, because people did, people were allowed to go, and they would start taking issue. Staff was taking issue. Nurses were taking issue. Why is this man here? This doesn't make sense. He has mild dementia, but he's in a lockdown facility with people that have, you know, much more severe yeah. issues than he does. Why should he even be here? And so what I think happens is at that point, when people started pushing back, then those people were 
um, either discredited, made to be crazy, or they were taken off the visitation list. So you have to isolate that person because you have created a partly false narrative in order to put that person away because you no longer want to care for them. I mean, that was essentially what was expressed to my brother. This is too much uh-huh. for her. He did have, you know, um, medical issues. I mean, he was able to walk around, but he had a lot going on, and it was a lot for her. And so she was basically like, hey, we need to, you know, find a place for you to go. And I don't have an issue with that. Anytime that someone says, this is too much for me, I think that's a really fair and yeah. honest position to take. The problem that I have is that when other people tried to step in who were obviously well-meaning and knew both my brother and her, then those people are cut off. They're told they can never go back to see him. And so I think at a certain point, if you haven't been honest in what you shared, then you have to isolate that person because you're getting exposed for what you've done. Yes. And so that's why, I mean, I mean, I think your question is you would never do that if you were caring for someone, but there is a, there's a method to the madness. I mean, there is a playbook, as you know, and that is a playbook. Isolate, put them on dozens of medication, um, tell everyone, because what happened is I honestly don't think that she ever thought that I would keep going back. I was not that close to my brother. He's a lot older. I had to fight to go see him. And once I saw him and realized what was going on, I really don't think she thought it would continue. So then when I did, you know, then it became a problem because you're pushing back. But honestly, that's when I just kept my head down. I didn't say a lot, you know, because when I realized that they weren't open to me saying, oh, you know, my brother needs this or he needs that. And, you know, it's basically like if you speak up for the ward, you're seen as the enemy instead of saying, oh, you're concerned, right, and you want this person to to have more. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, has always bugged me in all of this, and, and I've heard people say, you know, if they returned guardianship to its former noble purpose, it never had a noble purpose. It has always been about uh, capturing someone, stealing whatever they had, and then getting rid of them. That's what guardianship is. But it was originally developed, God, hundreds of years ago, if not a thousand or more, in England, and... Uh, it was a way that they took land from, like, the peasants and things like that, if they had any land, whatever they had. It was also a way of, of um, forced labor, and they called it guardianship, and they made it sound like, oh, you know, the government's taking care of you, just like they do now. But it's never had a noble purpose, not ever, ever, ever. It has always been a system of predation for one reason or another. And, um, you know, so I think it ought to be done away with totally because it is – the baggage it's carrying is too much to overcome. And then what we see have seen happened, you know, recently in the last 50 years or so with it, uh, it obviously is a detrimental system, and it does no one any good except the guardian who gets immensely richer. And um, I just, I, I, I'm tired of whitewashing this and trying to make it sound like, well, if we did this and we did that, why it'd be a good system if they, you know, just, no, it's never a good system. This is a system of taking ownership of another human being. It is a form of slavery. You own that individual and you call the shots on whether they live, breathe or die. You know, you, you're, you're calling the shots. 
That's slavery. And I think I had a very na- I had a very naive, you know, um, perspective on on guardianship. And I just, like I said last podcast, I just never imagined that it couldn't be overturned. Like I never right. imagined when I saw what was happening because I had been lied to. I thought my brother was, you know, out of his mind because the image that was given by the guardian and OB was that he was almost like an invalid, you know, and that he right. was out of his mind. He was no longer here. He could make decisions. And then I went and saw him and it was, it was not that at all. And right. so I think, um, and he pretty much has lost all of his rights. And I just thought once right. I saw that, there would be somebody um, that would be able to help. And that's one of the things I'm hoping we could talk about tonight is just the systems and the people that are supposedly in place to right. protect and help wards that are not doing that, either don't have the power yes. or are not willing to do that. Well, there's a long the list system, of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the nursing homes, the assisted living facilities, uh, the whole this whole thing, guardianship, conservatorship, and and yet the rules and regulations are substandard. Enforcement is non-existent. These people get away with mistreating the elderly in god awful ways, and nothing's done about it. Well, you ask them, you know, you have to expect. And somebody asked me where APS, Adult Protective Services, came from. They're like CPS, which was created in 1984. Bob Dole uh, brought it, and it was to protect children, yada, yada, yada. Well, it very quickly was exposed to be so profitable, the buying and selling of these children, that APS was developed. And Adult Protective Services is modeled on CPS. And it also is a very lucrative business. It is human trafficking. No matter how you slice and dice it, it is human trafficking. I don't care how many pretty phrases you attach to it or how flowery the language. It is human trafficking. If you seriously wanted to help someone, why can't you leave them in their home with family and friends? Why can't you do that? What is the object of capturing them? And in Curtis's case, obviously a man who does not belong in this facility, why would you put him in such a place? <laughs> and nobody says anything. Uh, you, Marty, can I ahead. speak to the APS issue? Okay. Yes. So um, there was there was probate court, and then I mentioned in last uh, podcast that the attorneys that um, helped us, from my perspective, failed us so badly that um, – I had legal friends who suggested, you know, were you sure they weren't working for the other side? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. they just didn't use any of the documentation we gave them. Maybe they knew we were going to lose and it was rigged from the beginning. I don't know. I'm not an attorney. But um, we went to the probate court um, three different times. And before our last hearing, we were meeting with um, these attorneys who had um, promised to or had said they would um, – get my brother's medical records because I had sat with a nurse um, the night before the second hearing because I was at my brother's facility visiting him the night before, and she begged me to ask my attorneys to get the medical records um, because she said there were things in there that were concerning and alarming and that Mm -hmm. they needed to be exposed. So we were in a 
phone conference with them because they're in Alabama, me and my sister and myself. And the attorney says, yeah, we didn't get him again. And I said, you know, can you tell me why? He said, I have no good reason. He yeah. was also unwilling to subpoena nurses who said that they wanted to testify. So, um, of course, we probably should have fired them. That didn't happen. So during that phone call, I just told my sister, I said, that's it. I'm separating myself. Like, I'm going to go to Adult Protective Services. Well, I had made several reports with them about my brother, maybe two or three at that point. And so um, during one of my visits in Alabama, I got a call saying they had opened a case. Very excited about the fact that they'd opened a case. And I'll back up a little bit. At one point, I had talked to a, um, a attorney general or deputy, one of those high legal people in Jefferson County who expressed a lot of concern about what I shared with him, that my brother was in a different part of the county. So he referred me to someone over at DHR APS. I talked to that person, a higher up. She was very concerned. In fact, she referred to the guardian as guard. She said, she sounds more like a guard than a guardian. Yeah. She said, I would love it if we end up in court with you guys. In other words, she's validating that what I'm sharing with you is very concerning. Right. So fast forward, they open up a case, and I'm really encouraged. And so we um, people write letters. I mean, lots of letters were written to the caseworker who was um, put in charge of it, expressing concern about my brother and how the guardian was um, – you know, treating him and whether that was not an appropriate guardianship. And um, we end up losing in probate court. And what I mean by that is that the judge, after hearing more than enough information to say this is questionable, the guardian should probably be removed, she left her in place. And then um, APS was supposed to talk to our attorneys. When I asked our attorneys after the last hearing, hey, did you talk to APS? Uh couldn't reach her she was on vacation or something and then I follow up with them and they said well we're closing the case because you lost in court we're basically there's nothing else we can do so they were clearly concerned none of that changed but now because we lost in court they you know closed the case and then I filed another report maybe six months ago a year ago and we didn't know where my brother had been placed they express compassion. There's nothing we can do. And then three months ago, I got a call. It's hard for us to follow up because we don't know where he is. Do you think the guardian would let your family know if he was deceased? And I said, I really don't know, you know, if she would or not. We don't know where he is. And so they said, well, you know, all we can do is make a phone call to the guardian, and you basically need to get an attorney and try to go back to court. So wow. they just, you know, it's like, what kind of help is that? They they yeah. seemed concerned. They didn't seem like I was being irrational. I sent tons of documents. And so it's just like, where where do you go? Who do you, who, yeah. who do you get help from? And most people would say, just get an attorney. Well, we did that. And even if I yeah. had all the money in the world, I'm not sure going back into court. Because as bad as our attorneys were, from my perspective, um, the judge still heard some very damaging testimony yeah. against whether right. my, um, she should be the guardian, and she still chose to keep her in place. So is that really going to make a difference to go back into court? Yeah. Well, so that's you the thing, too. You it's, just a, it's a trap. Um, you're trapped mm-hmm. either way that you go. And people are finding this out every day. 
that there is no help there, even though they promote it as a means of helping you or you have a, you know, an opportunity here to do something about You really don't. You really do not. Um, it is a kangaroo court. It's a rigged system. And it's just like that judge in probate. Every time a motion is brought in front of that judge, they get a percentage of the value of the estate, plus whatever agency is employing them because they're a contracted agent. They're not a judge of the law. They aren't dealing with law. They're dealing with code and statute, regulations, administrative, so they don't have to know the law. So they're ministerial clerks or administrative examiners or whatever you want to call them, but they're employed by the same agencies they are trafficking your brother. And it's it's such a circular system of corruption. The same people over and over again just running people in and out of these courtrooms. And I've explained, somebody sitting here saying it's a court of law. No, it is not. (laughs) These cases, probate cases, family court cases were intentionally taken out of the state law courts, the civil and criminal courts, the, the common law. They were taken out of them specifically to void the Constitution, any rights you might have under the Constitution. And they will tell you in these kangaroo courts, the Constitution is not work, does not work here. You have no rights. You have only the rights I give you. And the law is what I say it is. And that is exactly what's going on. This was done intentionally. That was done to facilitate this system. And everybody involved is making money off of that one individual who has been targeted. And it's just, why are good people the other, the other, this? Go the ahead. other people I have on my list, because I have a list. These are, these are as a list of professionals who I believe have fell Curtis. So I have a 100-page outline, and then I, I weaned it down to, like, 28 pages for the podcast. Um, and on this, the GAL. So, um I thought that guardian ad litems were there to, you know, because you really do go into this naively. I honestly did not understand why people had such, you know, strong feelings about attorneys because I never needed an attorney. I'd never been in court in my life. And so you're going in, at least I was, thinking, oh, you know, (laughs) these people are going to help us. Well, I mentioned the divorce GAL, so she was assigned. I talked about her last podcast. Was not only not helpful, she was just – mean and um, accused the divorce lawyer of, you know, I'm lying, who was a reputable um, attorney. Um, And then she was appointed in court. So we, you know, and by the uh, divorce judge, then the probate GAL, he had been assigned originally in 2015. um, And then they reassigned him. And we the attorney in 2015 that was helping my sister with the motion to review the guardianship, he expressed concern, saying, I'm not sure that this GAL can be objective based on what he was seeing. So when he was reassigned three years later in probate court, my sister, we expressed the same concern. And our attorneys who knew him said, oh, no, he'll be able to be objective. No worries, no worries. Well, we began to see that wasn't the case, and we asked, that he be removed, be replaced, because we didn't feel like he was representing my brother appropriately. They told us that would look bad to the judge, so why don't we just set up a meeting? So we meet with him, and, you know, in that meeting, 
we're expressing to him, hey, you go and spend 15 minutes with my brother. 15 to 30 is what he told us. And you're waking my brother up. He's on dozens of medications. He's sleeping to escape hell. And you wake him up and you don't stick around because the longer you're talking to my brother, I mean, I noticed that. I would stay for up to 10, 12 hours. He gets clear and clear and clear. So he mm-hmm. just didn't seem, you know, he was cordial. He didn't seem, you know, it's, I didn't really feel like he was really getting it. And then I sent, gave our attorneys documents to share with him. They never would share those with him. I don't know why we kept asking them. Um, and eventually they told us that um, before the last hearing that GALs are basically not going to recommend that a guardian be removed unless the person's like abusing them or starving them or doing something really drastic, which is a pretty low standard. Um, And then once we, and and the thing is what we'd also be told, this is a, a, a challenge is that we would often be told, because I can't tell you the number of professionals I've called. I even had an agent call that's in the office of a deputy attorney general he called over to the facility and he was like, well, Meg, the bills are being paid. You know, the facility is not on any type of watch list. In other words, people at the facility are not abusing your brother, so there's nothing that we can do. But what we would try to explain is they may not be abusing him, but they're not the one making the decision. They're not determining who can visit. They're not determining when he gets reevaluated. They're not determining what kind of rehab he gets. They're not determining if he can have a phone or send out letters. His, you know, guardian is the one who's making those decisions. And so that's, that's another issue because yeah. if she's making the decisions and then they have to go along with that. And e- even the people, like we had nurses and staff continually coming to us and saying, this is a problem. We don't trust the guardian. I had one staff person tell me I won't communicate with her anymore. I think she plants things in your brother's head. Um, they would tell us these things, but then they wouldn't really do anything. So I never knew if they were like mandated reporters. Are you going to administrators? <laughs> Are the administrators going yeah. to HR at these facilities, you know? And um, I went all the way up. I mean, I went up to HR, um, the 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 company that was over two of the facilities my brother was in, I went to Alabama Board of Public Health, and I went to the Alabama Medical Board and reported one of the doctors who wrote false reports. And people are sympathetic, but they don't do anything. Wow. <laughs> Nothing's wow. done. Elaine, you, what's, what's your thoughts yeah. here? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear everything. It's like one tragedy after the next. It never ends. And it's all the same. It's right. like a different name, a different place, and all the same story. And I, I really, I, I don't even know what to tell anybody. I just know it's, it's horrible. I know the politicians. They're all horrible. They, they won't do anything about this. And it's because they're all following the money. Okay, they're all yeah. about the money, and whatever you know. Um, and you know, it's, it's, I don't know what to. Tell anybody, and you know what? At some point, all of us are getting older, you know. So if yes. they don't grab somebody at a younger age for some other nonsense, you know, it's like when's your number? You know, when is your number up? You know, 
and it's, and it's that's just, just it. <laughs> We're all walking around with a target on us, and yeah, uh, for like, one reason or another. Like when, yeah, it's like when is your number up? And uh, yep, they're just it, they're inhuman, like you have said, and right. I agree with you. And uh, you know, listen, it's it's happening in so many different courts too. And uh, you know, yeah. what Marty in my, you know, from the family court case, and you know, they tried to guardian me in the family court case years ago. It was like, well, wow. let's do this for a back. It was for the backup plan. Like, oh, we can't get all her money from this way. Let's have the backup plan and just put a guardian on her. Well, you know, so they didn't get a guardian on me because they were able to get the money another way. But I'll tell you, after yeah. all the years we spent in this in that court, um. You know, the opposing counsel, I had found that he actually got this humanitarian award. I thought, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. They, left. they took everything from me. They actually, I got, I got child support taken away. In fact, my children, minor kids, ended up paying their father a quarter million dollars of child support. The children, through garnishment. Yeah. And, and so I get the, a humanitarian award. And. And this is what's going on with some of these, you know, bar, you know, they have their trophies and all that, as you say. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. what to say. I wish I had something to offer except I am so sympathetic and I don't know what to tell anybody because it's, it, 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 yeah. it's tragic. And, and, you know, it's, it takes your life. It, they swallow your life up when you're trying to fight, whether you're trying to fight for your own life or your loved one. And people don't know what to do because they just can't believe that this could ever happen until you're, you know, drowning in it. You, you just, you can't believe there's nobody to go to at all. I, I don't know what right. else to say. Yeah. Ralph, what's your thoughts? Well, uh, from what I've uh, heard so far, I'm personally going through the same thing with uh, my loved person. But it seems to be a playbook that is used nationwide by these uh, so-called guardians and the shysters that represent them. And it is the odds are highly, highly stacked against the families because the families of these loved persons are using their own money to pay for lawyers who really don't give a rat's rear end. They're only in it just to get as much money as possible. And they're usually quite ignorant of what goes on in these type of uh, situations. And then if the family fights the guardian, the guardian is using the money of that person. So, so therefore, they're, they're wasting the family's money that they would have gotten later on at some point. So the right. family really has the odds highly against them. And Marty, you right. touched on something which I uh, I want to confirm. I mean, I want to uh, confirm also. You were talking about these people with a memory uh, situation. Yes, they should have as many loved family with them constantly as possible. And yet, what's yes. happening to these people is they're put in basically solitary confinement in a sensory-deprived environment. And anybody, any normal person, would go mentally insane being in solitary confinement. That's what they do in prisons. And the fact that these people are being deprived of human touch and human uh, touching and 
and talking to and, uh, you know, talking to people on the phone, it is all about isolation when they de- uh, deny a person a telephone so people can call them or they can call their friends and so forth. This, this is not what a guardian is supposed to be. A guard protects lives and property. But these guardians mm-hmm. are doing just the opposite. They're taking the lives and taking the yes. property of these people. And it is, it, it, it's a, it, you know, it's or always said that these people are criminals, these guardians. Yes, they're mm-hmm. as much as criminals as any rapist, robber, child molester, burglar, somebody that stabs somebody just for a cell phone. But it's a crime that nobody seems to ever know about because so few are ever, uh, you know, going through this. And, again, it's a situation where uh, these people, uh, the politicians and so forth, they all, they all talk, and that's all they do. And, Marty, you know, you've said this many, many times. And it's something where uh, it, it's a matter where it's a crime that even law enforcement, like the district attorney's office or the FBI, which I'd like to go into later, who I've talked to, they act like they're interested, but months can go by and nothing ever gets done. And it's like a crime that if you get to do it, you have a free pass on doing it to people, where you can take millions of dollars of these people's money. So thanks, Marty. Yeah. Yeah, they're a dentist, or whatever they call it. They're torturing these poor people. They're torturing people. Disgusting. Mm -hmm. Torturing people by, by the way they treat them. Oh. Yeah, and the sensory deprivation is is major. Mm-hmm. It'll do more damage than anything else. Um, one of, something that was pointed out to me a few years ago by a friend was that in poor neighborhoods there'll be a lot of like um, uh, podi- uh, where they do toes and stuff. You know what do they call that? I don't know. Manicures, pedicures, yeah, yeah. That. Well, and that there'll be a great number of these compared to the population, and the reason is. The elderly people in the area, that touch is so important, particularly to the hands, the feet, the calves of the legs, and the lower arm. And it has there's a chemical response in the body that happens. And so they know this, and so this is provided through these services. And a lot of times this is the only touch and sensory business that they get. And... Um, but see, we know all of this, and we know what sensory deprivation does, particularly to the elderly. Why would you sit back silently and condone um, many, 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 many cases that the deprivation of these people? I want to know. What is your excuse? I'm what so could glad you possibly that... say? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm so glad that y'all touched on that, because that was one of the things that we talked about a lot was, the sensory yeah. deprivation. And just like the Reverend yeah. said, you could be the healthiest person mentally, physically. You could be young. If you are go through a traumatic experience like my brother did and then you are put in a lockdown facility, you have lost what was meaningful to you. So you're no longer doing your ministry. You are um, isolated from your kids. Um, we talked about it in the first one, but my brother has a daughter who's the apple in his eye, and um, she was placed in a facility shortly before my brother was. Rarely gets to see her, so you're not seeing your daughter. You're rarely seeing your family. You're 
you know, cut off and isolated and at times banned and now completely banned from friends, family. Um, You've lost everything. You don't have anything, you know, meaningful activities. Um, When we were in court, his guardian on the stand was talking about how she picked the facility she put him because it had large hallways. And I was confused as to what that had to do with anything. What she failed to mention is that after he attempted to file for divorce, not because he wanted to, because that was the only way he could, felt like he could get freedom, my brother was placed in the smallest room in the facility. I went in oh, and wow. videoed multiple rooms because nobody wanted to live there. It was not a nice place, so they only had maybe, I don't know, 10 to 15 residents at a time. And my brother was placed in a tiny room where you had to walk sideways to go past his bed. So he's placed in a small room. We complained about that to an ombudsman. She went to the guardian, and the guardian tried to say she put him in there because she didn't have enough money. And I said, well, we can come up with some money to pay for a larger room. She wasn't interested. So you have everything taken away. You, It's recommended by two different doctors that you get counseling to deal with the trauma, you're told, and it was said in court, that the guardian didn't think that was necessary because people with dementia wouldn't have anything to talk about in therapy. So you don't get that. You don't get the recommendations that um, physicians are making for pain management. You're not getting any rehab. Um, and you were isolated. I mean, when a typical time when I would show up at my brother's facility, he would be in his room by himself, there was no one there for him to really interact with. The staff routinely told me that my brother was like a volunteer because his capacity was, you know, so much greater than the other people there. So it was obviously not a good placement. And he has nothing to do. So he was either sitting there listening to worship music on a CD player that his guardian got upset that I had bought that for him because she said he didn't know how to work it, that he'd be listening to music or he would be sleeping. I would get him up. And at first he would be confused because he hadn't had any, you know, he did talk to the staff a lot. They loved him. And they said how, you know, they would talk to him all the time. And then we would go out and spend the day together. And then he would go back. That was all he had to look forward to. There were no activities there. They would play bingo occasionally. And television, and he wasn't, I mean, it just, the healthiest person, like I said before, if you put them in that situation, they would, they would lose it. And then when you throw in all of the medications, but then you are talking about the person being not doing well, and you're celebrating their gas if they mess up or they say something confusing, um, and so it just, it makes no sense. Um, and it's not, you know, what is best for that person. And ultimately, my brother started having to be hospitalized. And that's what happened when he went to the last facility. And, you know, they were saying that he was going there because he was getting more and more confused. But it's like, of course he would be. And then to say that he doesn't need um, to see anyone, just like the Reverend was saying, that's when you need people around you the most. Anybody with half a heart and half a brain knows that. And yet yeah. this is happening to him and so many other people. Well, it is, too. And that's a, um, my friend here just texted me and said that they were talking about these manicurists and pedicurist shops. 
And he said, said that people will pay, overpay for the touch, to be touched. It is so necessary for us to have that contact. And it's a chemical response mm. that happens in the skin. And um, your body responds to it. But it said it's the, the reason the churches encourage hugging for the same reason. People need to be touched. You cannot be separated like that. Uh, you cannot be left without meaningful touch and, you know, uh, sensory deprivation. And they know that this is extremely damaging, particularly to the elderly. And that they do it. Um, one of the things I dug around and found here a few years ago was that 60% of all the major law firms in the country make their bread and butter money off of guardianship conservatorship cases. So it keeps them going. And this is it's just a predatory system. And, it, of course, I think if you look at the legal system as it stands today, it basically is a collection of predators on one level or another. Um, we have a justice system that's non-functional, uh, isn't serving its purpose, isn't doing anything. And there again, how can you go in front of what's supposed to be, and they keep calling them a judge, and I call them out on that. You're not a judge. You're a hearing examiner. You're a ministerial clerk. You are not a judge. The judge implies you know the law, you're speaking the law, and you're operating from the aspect of the law. No, you're not. So don't call yourself a judge. You talked about going to the FBI. We had a man here some years ago in Nevada who went to the FBI office to report on, it turned out to be April Parks, and was trying to report on what this woman was doing and how she was a predator and she was having people killed. And they chased him out of the building, literally chased him out, screaming at him to never come back in there with that crap again. The FBI, of course, has outlived its purpose. I think most people have concluded that. Um, they don't call it the Federal Bureau of Intimidation for nothing. And <laughs> where it used to be the primo, you know, law enforcement, it isn't anymore. It isn't. So we have nowhere to go. We have attorneys that don't give a damn about us and are only looking at how much money am I going to make. And then you have all these agencies. We've talked before about... You know, when it first starts, well, go to the police, you go to the police. Well, you need to go to the sheriff's department. You go to the sheriff's department. Well, you need to go to the state's attorney general's office. You go there. Oh, you need to go to the police. And they put you on this hamster wheel. Because none of these agencies are going to turn on the other, regardless of what's happening. It's a cover-your-ass system, and they all cover for each other. They're not going to do anything. And we've seen this repeatedly in these guardianship cases, the outright abuse of victims. And it's many times perpetrated right in front of law enforcement. They won't do anything. They won't do anything. And um, this is allowed to go on. And like I say, we've exposed so much of this. We've been out there forever talking about this, bringing cases forward, showing the corruption, showing the abuse. And yet government sits silent, and the only thing they will do is throw more money at it. Now, why is that? Why is it? What is it about us that they want rid of the elderly? Why? And they're doing this in every country in the world. It isn't just here. Around the world, they're calling the elderly. Why? And the, But the system gets more degraded and abusive as each day goes by. Um, I don't know how your brother, Meg, has stood this. 
um, I can't imagine what it would be like to be incarcerated like this. And this is a prison sentence. This isn't a guardianship. It's a prison sentence. But we he is, and that's why I call him yeah. a prisoner and a, P- a POW. I was looking through, clearly stated what he wants. This, I was just going to read a piece of this. He, um, After my first visit, um, he sent out a letter. I mentioned this last time to my dad, and I was called by the other brother um, questioning me, did you get a letter? And I just had the sense I shouldn't say yes or no, so I pled the fifth. And he explained to me that um, my brother was not supposed to be writing anyone. He wasn't supposed to be getting mail out of the facility. And I was like, wow, I know people in prison who, you yeah. know, that's a federal offense, right? They can write letters. Yeah. And I can write to them because I've had friends there. Um, and so yeah. that was an alarm. But then he sent me this letter. He said, um, I pray you're doing well. I want to be clear about apologizing um, for not uh, being responsive um, as you have for me or something like that. My brother's handwriting is horrible. It truly has been a great encouragement for all that you have done and said to me. Whether it is right or wrong, I deeply feel alone because I have been through my ordeal alone. I do not know how to react to this, but it seems to make me even more alone. This meaning my visit, um, this is where I usually throw this letter away because it makes no sense to me when I read it back, when I read back over it. It seems so weird and different than someone would drive over to Birmingham to see me, take the day to talk about things that I rarely talk to others about or discuss. Maybe I'm lonely or I've just turned into myself during the last several years. I oh, wow. am not clear about this. I have also struggled with finally finding out that as long as I live, I will have to live in a facility like the one I am in. In the back of my heart, I knew it, but it hit me hard to hear it from the doctor's Mm -hmm. Hope, dash, when I was not sure about it, I would get, when I was not sure if I would get out of here, I was motivated to do things. Now I know for sure, now that I know for sure, it has been hard I have been really depressed, fighting it, also unmotivated. I'm sure you've dealt with this a good bit, so you understand. Well, there, I finally got it out, exclamation point. I hope it makes some sense, the feeling of what I'm going through. A better way to say it is I know you can relate to what I am trying to communicate. Again, please forgive me for not responding sooner. It was a hard letter to write, and in parentheses, he put pride, because my brother's very, very humble. So yeah. He thought that was prideful, and he said, I love you, Curtis. So, again, this was written when he was considered incompetent and not really here. And that's uh-huh. what kept me going back. I mean, I knew at that point I would have to keep going back, and um, I couldn't give up, you know. Gordy, this is Reverend Ralph. Good. Yes. Uh, I, I like to help this, you know, add a couple of things I think might help uh, this person. Number one, I found the weakness of these corrupt guardians to be exposure. And one of the things that I've often told other people is get the news media involved. Go to the news media, because most likely they have never done a story on something like this. And something that I have invented myself was to get the daily newspaper 
and have them hold, have the person hold the newspaper, which will prove the date of when the videotape was made, and use your cell phone to videotape this person, and if your uh, brother would simply reread his letter, the news media would eat that up because it shows him talking and saying from the heart what he feels and what he thinks. And like they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. To do something like that, and I've done that myself with my loved person, to prove that my loved person is not the mentally unbalanced person that uh, the guardian and the court had tried to make this person out to be. So this is something, again, videotape, it's evidence. It's proof of what this person and how this person thinks. So please go to your newspaper, uh, go, to, go to your news media, either newspaper or TV. Every TV station usually has one of these investigative reporters. But if you can get a videotape of your brother uh, just repeating what he said in that letter, reading that letter, that would be of such tremendous emotional impact. It might just get politicians to get on board to correct some of these uh, laws. Well, let me say this. It's great advice, and I have done that. I have contacted, um, I don't know how many news reporters in Atlanta and Alabama I have, uh, if you include emails, documents, pictures, videos, audios, I have uh, 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 close to 2,000. Um, I have dozens of videos. So when I started, when I discovered what had happened to my brother in March of 2016, and I realized when I started asking questions and I was getting shut down by the Guardian and those who were responsible for this, I was told by friends and legal counsel, just document everything. And that's what I did. That's that's honestly how I've kept my sanity. Um, I love to write. That's my therapy. And so I have notes on everything. I have three, three inch binders that are packed full. And I have those videos that you're talking about. I have my brother expressing himself on audios and videos. Um, and I have shared those. I have a USB that has 468 documents on it. And I've sent it along with the book to um, politicians, to news reporters, to Tyler Perry, to filmmakers, to documentarians. I mean, this has kind of been a part-time job for me. And unfortunately, I have gotten very little um, interest in helping him. And the problem now, Reverend, is that he's literally hidden from us. I haven't been able to speak to or see my brother. I don't even know where he is. He's more than likely still in Alabama but we have been completely cut off from him at this point. And naturally, I don't know, you know, I think he has deteriorated. Um, the videos and all the things, the last ones that I have would have been from 2000, um, I guess, tw well, 20, 21. So it's been over a year. But it's I great advice, but I've, I've done that. And unfortunately, maybe I just, you know, you keep knocking on doors until one opens, and that's part of why I'm so grateful to Marty. Um, and we had also Terry LaPointe read an article about my brother last year um, because that's all I'm left with at this point. Um, it's the last thing I wanted to do as far as exposure. I've gone to the people involved. I've sent letters. Um, I've gone to their front door. I've offered to pay for a mediator, um, and I've been completely shut down. 
And so um, that's really all you're left with is exposing it. So I'm still working on that, um, but it's a little you, harder now just because do, you don't know Do you have at. a website? Do you have a website with that information? Yeah, great idea. We started, um, one of my family members started a Facebook page that wasn't just about my brother, but it was for all victims of, of this. And it was kind of a general website. And one of his caregivers, one of the nurses who testified in court, she went on and commented, family members went on, and then that person just um, wasn't able to continue doing that. And so um, that's something that I've just recently been talking to someone about creating another Facebook page just for him to put up some of these documents. Hey, Meg, how about, if, how about one of those little, I don't know, I'm not technical, how about one of those like little TikToks and you take short little bleeps, bleeps from with the stuff with your brother and you do it like every day, like so. They're short things, and some of them grow popular, you know, because this is crazy what's going on. He's he's being held captive, and it, yeah. it's just it's really heartbreaking. The letter you read, maybe yeah, maybe thank you. Little short, sometimes you know today I think I think the whole world's going crazy. Everybody's ADD. Nobody has any time for anything. Sometimes maybe a real short little bleep doing something every single day as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, a long article or a long movie or a long story. Maybe a real short You're exactly thing. right. Our attention span. I do have my personal Instagram turned into an Instagram dedicated to him. So I do mm-hmm. have that, and I have connected with some amazing people via that platform, people that are connected to um, Michelle Nichols, the beautiful Star Trek actress that recently passed away in an abusive guardianship um, under her, um, one of her family members. I'm um, in touch on Instagram with um, her goddaughter who fought very hard for her. So, um, so I have that, but I agree. I mean, just that, that's a really a good idea um, I'm kind of old, but I my students can help me with <laughs> TikTok. Yeah. I do have a TikTok account, but I just don't post anything. But all those things really weigh heavily weigh heavily on me, right? Because you're just always trying to figure out what is the right angle and what is the right thing to do. And um, yeah, it's hard to know. But those are good suggestions. Well, and people do become desperate. They, they they try all of the legitimate way and legitimate, I mean, ordinary ways you would deal with something like this. And mm-hmm. they, you know, it, they run through all of those and they'll do it repeatedly. And then it dawns on them that the system is rigged against them. And it is. And then they start doing things outside of what's the ordinary. And, boy, I tell you, they get upset when you do that. And the loss of control... Um, we have been threatened here on this show numerous times of take the show down or, you know, we're going to, we're going to, um, sue you. Well, sue me. And then once you do that, then I have a right to question you. And, um, but you know, there's constant threats, the bullying and most people at times, there's times, you know, it unnerves me and I think, Ooh, but you have to press on. You have to call their bluff because you're absolutely right, Elaine. The one thing they fear is exposure. And I think it's if people in the neighborhood where these people live knew what they did for a living, 
uh, I don't think they'd be welcome there, quite honestly, but that's just me. And uh, But most people don't know what they do, and these people will hide in churches and everything else. They're the pillar of society. You know, they're sitting in the front row in church, and, you know, blah, 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 and uh, they're actually the devil in disguise, you know, so... It just, and I still don't know how you do something like this on a day-to-day basis. Go home to your family like nothing happened, to go back the next day and do it all over again. What, what are you that you could? I do remember, that? Marty. I said something to you about you know being like concerned about publicly shaming people, and you said something because you know it's not what I want to do. I mean, my spiritual beliefs are that you should go to that person first and try to work that out. Well, I did all that. I mean, not only did I do that, but I was evicted because of this. Um, I was renting from one of the people who's responsible, and so I was evicted, and I was fine with that. Um, and then my own father, you know, had to email me a couple years ago and say, I have been told that I, you can no longer come in my apartment. I can no longer call you from my house phone or my cell phone. And that was because of me exposing or actually at that point I hadn't exposed. It was more just pushing back and my right. dad is on my side. And so I remember you saying that Meg, I said, I'm concerned about, you know, resorting to public shame. And you said that you can't shame these people because if they had any shame, they wouldn't do this. And I true. think that's so true. I, I just don't, yeah. because it's so unnecessary. That's the whole thing. Like we, could, would gladly take care of my brother and it was said in court that we never offered so I officially offered we really do want to care for him we don't want any money it was said that we were doing this because we wanted money we said we would sign something we just want to take care of him and you can go live your life and I want you to have a happy life but not at the expense of my brother and they're not willing to do that. And so it's just unnecessary when there are people. Yeah. It would be one thing if there was nobody that wanted to care for my brother. There are mm-hmm. lots of people that want to care for my brother. So, so, I like, but so are they doing this for free? Is that what they're saying? That that your loved one has all their money and the system, whoever these guardians are, and they're all doing it for free, but they're so worried that your own their own family is going to, uh, get any money out of this? I mean, that's your family. Guardianship is supposed, it's supposed to be next of kin, whoever's close to you, and they're jumping in. And, you know, I know in Pennsylvania there was something that just happened where now they're going to be bringing in third parties even with the child custody stuff. This is people just they're making this human trafficking normal and legal. It's horrible. Yes. I don't. I, yes. I don't know at what point people are going to be uh, rioting in the streets. I don't know how many people it has to happen to, but uh, this is just awful. Have you um, noticed that with the rise in the reporting on the abuses of CPS, that the cases yeah. of child abuse in the public uh, they're fallen by the wayside? You don't hear much about it anymore, and um, that it's because they're trying to normalize it. And uh, yeah. if they do it, it's it's normal. If they do it, uh, they did what they had to do. And no, they didn't. And uh, but it just, I I don't know. I know we need to figure out next steps and what we're going to be doing, uh, how we're going to be approaching this, and it's going to take some work. But um, this is this has gone on far too long, and it's hurt too many people. And one of the things we have found too. 
is, and I hate to keep bringing this up, but I think it's very necessary. When people are being hit out like this and you don't know if they're alive or dead, and then you find out sometime later that they passed away, and it might have been a month before, weeks before, whatever, and they say, oh, we, we got rid of their funeral plans and we had them cremated. And the research Marcia Southwick and I have done on this, they're parting out the bodies. They're selling the organs, they're selling the body parts and sections and everything else, and there's no regulation on this. None. Zippo, nada. No regulation. And um, you can do this all day long, and I don't care. And you can ship it. You can, anybody can buy body parts. There's no regulation. But there's money in those old people. And I think it's just the last-ditch effort to wrench every last possible dime out of that person that you targeted. Uh, you got everything else, and so, you'll, you know, the coup de grace is we'll just parcel you up and sell you off to the highest bidder. Uh, this is such a sick system. And for the people who get caught in it, and we've seen so many people that are put into these facilities that don't need to be in them, that had family that wanted to take care of them, and they put in and, and their demise, the, this gradual, precipitous demise, you know, they withdraw and the psychological damage and which begins to affect them physically. How do you sit and watch that happen to someone and know you caused it? Out of what? For what reason? And see, my my thinking is there has got to be something else at work here that we have not yet discovered. There, It's got to be more than money. It's got to be more than um, the, the act of targeting someone. There is something else here that we haven't taken notice of and that is driving this whole system. So I am continuing to look for that. Uh, because there's, this doesn't make sense. It does not make sense on any level. And that our government goes along with it, funds it, tells me there's an ulterior motive here. There's something else going on, so we need to figure out what it is. That I just, I, I don't know. And I, I have reached sorry. out to some politicians. I will say that. Well, I know, Marty, you and I were talking about that earlier. Because um, I've reached out to really pretty much anybody I can think of. I do know that there's a congressman in Alabama who has, um, you know, talked with my sister, um, and you know, talked about you know being concerned about this. But it's just wherever you look, whoever you talk to, they seem very sympathetic, but then nothing ever happens. Right. So, right to your point. I don't know what we need to do to organize um, yeah. for the movement along with helping the individual individual yeah. people. And I also just find a sense of people, like, they just get involved. It's almost like it's too ugly, it's too depressing, and I think it's too scary. I remember someone telling me one time that people are uncomfortable. I feel, you know, most comfortable when I am hanging out with people who are without homes that we call homeless people. Um, and I've had the privilege of working, you know, in that arena through my ministry or through ministry in the past. But I heard somebody say, well, the reason a lot of people are uncomfortable is they know that that could be them. And so I wonder if maybe that's it um, and why people just, it's almost like it's a plague and they just don't want to really get too close to it. They don't want to. Yeah. 
um, to talk about it. Um, but we have to talk about it. I mean, I really feel like yes. it's the next movement that needs to happen. We've had a lot of movements that have been very effective, bringing awareness to people who have been um, marginalized and oppressed, and we need to do the same for this group of people who, yeah. by no other reason than their age or an accident or mental health issues or some dementia, they are now warehoused and treated like yeah. they're not even human. That's and that's the truth of it, too. Yeah, not, not even as if they're human. Uh, I've seen animals in shelters treated better. And uh, to, you do this to people, just like the people who work in these facilities. And we've seen video surface of, you know, workers beating up residents, um, doing all kinds of terrible things to them. And uh, why are the, is that facility still open? I want to know. But it is. And um, but nothing really ever happens. I remember here some years ago there was a I think it was in West Virginia a situation where um, several workers at one of these homes for Alzheimer's patients um, had stripped a couple guys down naked and made them fight each other, and they were all laughing and cheering. Well, anyway, they all were taken to court over this, and they all got off. The judge says, "Well, there was no harm intended." What are you saying? There was no harm intended, and they all walked away, but this happens all the time. There is no penalty for this mistreatment and abuse. There's no penalty. There is nothing anywhere that says you can't. And um, what few little things might appear in the law are not enforceable. So basically we have another system of, you know, it's the old people. Who gives a damn? But we're all in line for this. Believe it or not, we're all in line. And I keep hearing more and more on the federal level about um, – children should not be able to inherit from their parents because they didn't earn that. And that should, whatever's in the coffers, should go to back to the state. Why is that? Well, well the because they... Those, well, the state didn't earn what? it either. The state exactly. did not earn it either. So what are they entitled to afford? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my but gosh. the idea that your family can't inherit... Um, it just, you know, and I hear more talk and more talk about the imaginary boundaries between the states. If it wasn't for the imaginary boundaries, these aren't imaginary. They're very well defined. And they keep talking about uniform laws. That is a trap. I know some people think it's a good deal. It is not. It is a trap. And uniform laws simply mean if we all break the same law, there hasn't been any harm done. That's all it means. Um, it just afraid of what's happening, the undercurrent in all of this. I'm afraid where all of us are going to end up. And one of the other things I want to talk about is, and I want to hit on this again. If you go to the doctor and they hand you a questionnaire that says, you know, have you felt depressed? How many times this week? Two, three, five, ten? Um, have you been suicidal? Have you, you know, don't answer that. Hand the sheet back to them and say, I'm not here for this. Um, the thing at draw a clock and make the hand say 10 after 11. No, I don't want to draw a clock. Uh, but these are all trap questions and you actually cannot answer any of them with any accuracy, but all of them are used to determine your mental state. Really? Um, there's all these questions. Mm -hmm. Don't answer those things. You're not there for that. If you're there for an earache, get treated for your earache. 
you're you know you're depressed, then go to the doctor for that. When you sign into the hospital, don't sign that little blank electronic thing out there. You make them print you off a copy of that admission form. And it says in there now, many hospitals have it written in there that once you are admitted to the hospital, you forfeit all rights to make your own medical decisions. They'll now be made by the doctors and the hospital. Um, uh, me, I'm adamantly against vaccines. And mine, I always put a disclaimer on there that says no vaccines of any kind whatsoever for any reason. It says right in there, biologics, the word biologics. Watch that because that covers vaccines. And um, they have other terms in there, you know, uh, specialty terms where they can test, you know, blood testing on you, all kinds of stuff. Don't sign that thing without being able to read it. They can print you off a copy, mark out what you don't agree with it, initial it. Mark out the word signature under your name. Signature is a corporate contract agreement. You sign on the signature line, you have agreed to the contract that is laid out in that document. And you're agreeing to everything they say. You put an auto, uh, uh, autograph line down, and you sign that. And uh, that just means I've read this. And it doesn't mean you're agreeing to anything. But all of these trips and tracks and all of this stuff going on to suck you into a system that is detrimental, that is going to harm you, is going to rob you, is going to deprive you of your family, of of your home of everything. This was set up by our government. Get a clue here. Meg, do you honestly think if your government gave a damn, this would be happening to your brother? No, it's, I, I don't. Yeah. I really don't think it would be happening. And Marty, one thing I wanted to speak to that you started off with, if you don't mind, was your yeah. um, critique of the um, church, like I like to call them church people and not Christians. Um, but that's one of the things because of my background and also because of my brother's, you know, um, history of starting this ministry and being part of one of the largest churches in Birmingham. And I really want to put, you know, a challenge out to um, the church um, in terms of why they're not stepping in, right? Yeah. Because I really do like the like it said in the pro, promo. I think it was Mahatma Gandhi or Gandhi who said um, that a culture, a society, is judged by how we treat them as vulnerable. And yeah. I really think churches are judged by you know are they taking care of those people, looking out for those people. I've been there's been many things I've been disillusioned about going through this, but I would say that is at the top of you know of the list um and what i mean by that there have been people at you know many churches and my christian friends who have stood with me prayed with me we are actually doing a 40-day corporate prayer right now that um a friend of mine initiated on facebook so people are stopping at noon every day and we're doing it up until the day before thanksgiving so there are lots of people that are standing with me standing with my brother but in terms of the church that he worked for he was the son of that church, and they had people that went out and visited him and have loved him, but the leadership in that church has been, from my perspective, very um, way too silent about this and in many ways has yeah. signed off on it by the fact that they've sent people to, um, to visit him. And when I mm-hmm. went and tried to talk to the church leaders, I was – you said something earlier that, that um, echoed this, you know, as to, oh, 
initially, we can't meet with you because yeah. um, the head pastor at the church said, because I talked to the judge and I talked mm-hmm. to a doctor and lawyers, and they advised that I not meet with you to talk about your brother. And that oh. was something that Curtis asked me repeatedly. Can you please go talk to the leadership at the church where, you know, I used to work? And I eventually talked to them. The head pastor um, bailed um, at the last minute, but he did send some people in, and they listened to me and essentially are basically like, we're not going to take a side. And so wow. I really just think that um, we're obligated to do that. Um, there's actually a Bible verse that says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And it says, um, ensure justice for those who are being crushed. Yes, yes, speak for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. That is a Bible verse. So yeah. I really think um, I'm looking at a letter that Curtis actually wrote one of the pastors at his church back in 17, and he had a help, help from a friend because I know the friend, so of course he couldn't type it, but he clearly, humbly asked this man if he could help if he could help him. I would like to have more freedom than is currently afforded me. I have requested of my guardian to be moved to a facility that allows more social interaction with similarly challenged occupants and the freedom to come and go and have visitors of my choosing. I've requested more time with my kids, to attend church, especially their church, to enjoy time away from the facility, a mobile phone, the ability to receive and send mail, a medical review of my condition. I do not believe these requests are are unreasonable, but my current relationship with my guardian makes it difficult to be heard or understood. I feel we are at an impasse. I hope our friendship would allow you and I an opportunity to meet. He gives some suggestions for restaurants where he wants to meet. Right. and never, as far as I know, never heard back from this man. And this is the man who was in the meeting with me who looked at me and said, I can tell you love your brother. That's obvious because, um, you know, I was sharing very openly for about an hour and a half. And um, But essentially, we, you know, we can't get involved. There's two sides to every story. This is yeah. a church yeah. that he was involved yeah. with for decades. Hey, Meg, how I old was... is your brother again? How old is he? How old? Yeah, he is. Oh, it's sixty-six, fifty-seven, six, mm-hmm. six. Okay, let me think. I have five siblings, so I always forget how old he is. And how, he how, is. How I'm how he's like sixty-eight. Getting? Okay, and how sixty-eight, long and he was. He was started getting placed in facilities in two thousand and fourteen, thirteen, fourteen. Oh wow, he's been okay. in five facilities I've got a, since then. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got a, just a few minutes left here. I was just sent a reminder that most hospitals. Um, of course, they have attorneys and guardians on staff now, and um, the guardianship attorney is being introduced to patients as doctor, which is legal. They can be, but they don't tell them, you be sure and ask a doctor of what, and um, because they'll bring them in as if they're just another doctor tending to their case, and actually it's this guardianship attorney. So uh, be sure if you get some new doctor signing in on your case. Um, you find out a doctor of what, and if it's an attorney, shoot him out of the room. Um, this is just who I feel like I've been doing this all these years, and we're no farther than when we first started, but we'll keep plugging away at it. Uh, Elaine, Reverend Ralph, I want to thank you for joining in tonight. Um, Meg, 
thank you for updating on this story. And our thoughts are with Curtis. And um, hopefully we can help you affect some kind of a change there. We'll see what we can do. Thank you so much, Um, Marty. I appreciate you. You bet. Uh, Everybody else, thank you for tuning in. We had a full house again tonight. And uh, I appreciate that. And, you know, I told you we're we're sponsored now by Shenanigans in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania uh, Courthouse on Facebook. And we're... We broadcast in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Life website, and we are now on so many streaming services that I couldn't even begin to list them all here. Um, We got picked up, and I'll tell you, things are exploding, so hopefully this will help to expose this stuff, get it to a wider audience, and hopefully we can get something moving here. Either that or they'll come out here and kill me in my sleep, and that'll be the end of it. But anyway... Um, we hope not. Everybody, thank you. Say what? <laughs> well, me That's we certainly hope not, Marty. Yeah, but um, but everybody, thank you for tuning in, and we will be back next Friday. Thanks, everyone, and good night. Good night. Good night. Mm-hmm. Thanks.